everyone. Welcome to Being Patient Brain Talks. I'm Deborah Khan, founder of Being Patient. Today we're going to talk about mitochondrial restoration. That's um, the mitochondria is the power uh, center of our cells. Um, and science is now looking at restoring the mitochondria in order to prevent and cure Alzheimer's disease. Well, joining me today is Dr. Eugenia Trishina. She's from the Mayo Clinic, um, joining us from Minnesota. Thanks so much, um, Eugenia, for joining us today. Yes, thank you, Deborah, for having me. So I, I really want to just start with the very basics. I think, you know, when we say mitochondria, a lot of us think of science class. Um, and I remember in my science class um, studying that the mitochondria is truly like the power center of our cells. But explain to us a little bit in layman's turn um, what the purpose of the mitochondria is. Sure, you're absolutely right. It's a power, power plant of the cell. Mitochondria are numerous organelles that uh, populate um, every single cell except of the red blood cells. So if you will look uh, with high resolution like electron microscopy at a single cell, you will see that mitochondria of different sizes and shapes are all over the cell. They are around the nucleus, which is very important. Um, another organelle that uh, uh, have our DNA, has our DNA, but mitochondria pro provide all energy for every single process in the cell primarily. So uh, they are very interesting uh, to work with, to observe with. So apparently mitochondria at some point, billions of years ago, were individual, or, uh, individual um, species. So they joined the, uh, the, the cell uh, with the nucleus, uh, eukaryotic cell. And they, they created symbiotic relationship where they become the energy supplier and they become a very important surveilling organelle. So they are sensing any changes associated with energy and their primary job is to do everything possible for cells to survive. So they communicate with the nucleus, telling nucleus what to do with gene expression. They can do any other things in the cell to make sure that, that the organisms survive on the level of energy because energy basically is life. Okay, and so when we are in a, uh, when we have a neurodegenerative um, disease like Alzheimer's disease, um, we know that, you know, the beginning stages are plaques in our brain, um, tau tangles a, a bit later, and then we reach an inflammatory state where we usually see the symptoms. What is happening with our cells at that time? What is happening um, to the mitro uh, mitochondria? Do we know that actually damage is occurring um, as soon as you enter um, a symptomatic state uh, of Alzheimer's disease? We actually do. One of the tests that could detect uh, energy homeostasis, so what's happening with your energy uptake from the glucose and utilization uh, for neuronal function, one of the tests that uh, could be, it's translational, it could be applicable to uh, model organisms that we use in the lab to study that, and also to humans, so we can have a direct comparison. This test is called FDG PET scan, and that could see what is your uptake of energy in the brain, which comes from the glucose. 
So one of the earliest abnormalities is the reduced uptake of the glucose, and glucose is absolutely essential for energy production in mitochondria. So we do know that energy hypermetabolism, uh, low metabolism, is a very early underlying uh, event in Alzheimer's disease. So that actually could be detected in people with mild cognitive impairment, and later it become more and more uh, prominent in people with AD. So the objective of my research is to understand how this is happening, what's the role of mitochondria, can we improve this process, because if we will improve utilization of glucose and mitochondria function, we could actually promote neuronal survival, neuronal function, and uh, preserve cognitive function, which is the major uh, target of AD. So the loss of uh, cognitive function and memory is what uh, manifests AD. So I, I just want to yeah. go a little bit more into that because I think that's fascinating. So we know, and you know, I, I apologize if this is the very basics, um, but just so that we're really clear on this, um, we know that glucose feeds our brain for energy. Um, you know, glucose is, is really, and as we age, um, we tend to have less glucose, um, I have been told by other, other scientists. Um, so you know, the the role of when you talk about you could detect it with a, um, actually low metabolism, what does that mean exactly? So neurons are very specific cells in the brain that critically depend on mitochondria function and mitochondria function in neurons critically depend on the glucose. So these molecules come from the from from the food primarily. And there is a step-by-step -step process that allows glucose to get into the brain and then get cleaved and converted to the substrate that goes straight into mitochondria. So early in Alzheimer's disease, we have this reduction of glucose uptake, but at the same time, we also have problems with mitochondria. So two and two go together. So there, there are, it, it's a multifaceted process. It's not one uh, single process that uh, uh, kind of goes bad. It's, it's a combination of processes, but they connect to each other in terms of this depletion of energy. And there is a feedback between mitochondria function and glucose uptake. And actually, there are multiple pathways and signaling cascade that mitochondria could be tricked into participating, participating in to improve all these processes. And that's what exactly we're looking at in my research. So when we talk about restoring the mitochondria, what exactly do you do? I mean, how does one restore the mitochondria, which is the power center of our cells? Mitochondria, as I said, are amazing organelles. They have life cycle in the cell. They could be born. The new mitochondria could, could be produced. Then they live for some time. And while through, through this life cycle, they acquire mutations because they actually have their own DNA. They have mitochondria DNA, which is prone to uh, uh, mutations. So mitochondria become an old organelle. They will produce less energy. They could produce reactive oxygen species that are very bad for any cell. And then they will need to be repaired or degraded. So it's the whole cycle that mitochondria goes through from birth to elimination and every step is highly regulated from multiple processes of mitochondria being fused in one big organelle or being divided in, in uh, uh, 
smaller organelles. It's very important because only smaller organelles could be deleted by uh, mitophagy and fusion of mitochondria is very important for mitochondria repair. So a lot of these processes could go bad with age or the disease. So you could repair mitochondria by promoting what is called, this process is uh, basically related to mitochondrial life cycle, but the, uh, but the beginning, the, the formation of new mitochondria are called mitochondria biogenesis. So one of the strategies is to promote mitochondria biogenesis. And mitochondria biogenesis could be increased in response to stress. When you exercise or, or when you have caloric restriction, you actually trick, you, you reduce energy in, in the body. You reduce energy supplies and mitochondrion could respond thinking that if we will proliferate, if there will be more mitochondria, we could uh, maybe uh, promote better, better energy using alternative substrates. So mitochondria will start producing more younger organelles and this is very good. The same thing happens with starvation. So when starvation occurs, the pathways of removing all junk to use it for amino acid synthesis uh, could be initiated. That's called autophagy and mitophagy. That will remove damaged old organelles. So you improve the life cycle of mitochondria. And you could do that with non-pharmacological interventions. That's why exercise is so important. But you also can do that with pharmacological interventions. And that's what we do in the lab. So we have the small molecules that target mitochondria, they penetrate the blood-brain barrier, go straight to mitochondria, and they treat mitochondria thinking that they are under stress. But it's a very mild stress. It doesn't damage mitochondria. It's compatible to what is happening during exercise. And mitochondrion thinks, okay, I need to renew myself, I need to multiply myself, and we have better pool of stronger, healthier, better energy-producing organisms. That's fascinating. And I love that comparison to exercise because it makes it much easier to understand. Uh, you know, when we exercise, we get sore muscles, but in the end, it's really better for us, right? Um, exactly. My, what my question is, is what does that process look like? Is it an injection? Do you take a pill? Like, how do we restore our mitochondria? That would be a pill. So we aim for the pill. So we we did multiple studies uh, using preclinical uh, models for Alzheimer's disease. You cannot go straight to humans if you will not do a lot of studies where you very carefully and methodically test the efficacy of your compounds, uh, test their toxicity, look how long-term application, because in people with neurodegenerative disorders, we're thinking about uh, long chronic administration of, uh, of these compounds how your molecules behave in the in vivo in the body in in physiologically relevant organism so we did multiple multiple studies i'm actually blessed with very talented group who helps me to conduct the studies and we found that compounds uh, very nicely penetrate the blood-brain barrier so they got to the brain to the target intended target for our compounds which is very rare it's actually difficult to do for brain disorders they not only penetrate the blood-brain barrier, they got into mitochondria. So they have these properties that allow them to get through the membranes and accumulate in mitochondria. And then they bind for a very specific target, which is also in compounds. Compounds tend to go in different places, interact with different um, uh, targets. Our compound seems to be very specific. 
So they go where we want them to go and do what they want, we, we want them to do. And when they go into mitochondria, they reduce a little bit the activity of mitochondria complex one. So there are multiple complexes in mitochondria that make uh, the, the process of energy production functional. So we target the very first complex of this electron transport chain. And this slight reduction of complex one activity signals to the cell that we need to engage multiple processes to restore energy homeostasis. One of these processes would be mitochondria renewal. The other processes actually, amazingly and interestingly, restore glucose utilization in the brain. The third pathway will take junk out of the cell. We have reduction of amyloid flux, phosphatau, damaged mitochondria. And uh, together, all these processes make an amazing work that is very hard to achieve if you target these processes individually. So we have this multifaceted cascade of neuroprotective mechanisms that we found could work in mice at the early stage of the disease. So that would be compatible to people with MCI. But our last study, we took actually mice that already had plaques, tangles, and very affected memory, cognitive dysfunction. We started to treat these mice at, after the development of symptoms at symptomatic stage. And we have shown that not only we protect memory, improve uh, appearance and overall health, but we also block neurodegeneration, which is the most important thing because the loss of neurons actually accounts for the loss of memory in Alzheimer's. So we're very helpful, uh, hopeful with this um, application. So it seems to be a very interesting, interesting strategy and it seems to work at least again in model organisms. So we have a, a question that's come in asking, how do our genetics relate to um, mitochondria? Do we, are we born with, some of us have stronger mitochondria than others, or how does, how do genetics factor in? This is a great question. Um, we can talk about mitochondria just for the rest of the day. So mitochondria come all from your mothers. So if you have strong, good mitochondria, go say thank you to your mother. It's actually a very interesting process. I highly recommend to go and Google, how do you get mitochondria from the mother? It's, it's a very interesting uh, mechanism uh, that happens uh, very early at the uh, uh, first step of the egg fertilization. So, so all mitochondria come from the mother. Mitochondria do have a little bit different makeup. So this is called haplotypes. There are multiple haplotypes because mitochondria adapt to, in, to the environment. Mitochondria adapt to the food you eat. So mitochondria in people who live by the Arctic Sea would be a little bit different from mitochondria for people who live in savanna in Africa because you need different mitochondria. You need mitochondria that will provide a lot of energy if you need to run after animals in savanna. But you do not need to have that type of mitochondria if all your energy and food comes from fish and fish oil. So that's, that makes a little bit different makeups for mitochondria. And people inherited these particular haplotypes of mitochondria based on where they live. Because again, mitochondria are amazing. They allow the organism to adapt to the environment and utilize the resources and food supplies of the environment. So yes, there is a, there is a genetic difference. And uh, again, um, 
mitochondria have their own genome. That is uh, the, the demonstration that they were at some point individual uh, uh, entities. But that also comes with a little price because mutations in mitochondrial genome could cause a lot of problems. So, so if uh, the organism is getting old, uh, if you have any genetic mutations in mitochondrial DNA, there are diseases that are called mitochondrial DNA diseases, and they're directly relevant to uh, problems with mitochondrial DNA. So uh, I'm not sure whether I answer your question or not, but there are also great books uh, about mitochondria, uh, how, how mitochondria, haplotypes, mitochondria DNA, allowed to track seven daughters of Eve, just the first tribes, the first females that uh, are believed to give uh, rise to human to humans. So, so that no, thank you for that explanation. Um, I I also am fascinated with this kind concept of. Um, preventing aging, so to speak. And you and I were talking earlier about how, um, you know, the diabetes drug metformin is being studied um, as actually an unintended anti-aging drug. Um, is this much like what you are studying? I mean, what what is the parallel here when we look at re re restorative um, medicine, so to speak? Um, is that really reversing what the natural process of aging or preventing aging so that we are more vulnerable to neurodegenerative diseases? These are all great questions. I hope I will give you every single answer for that. So what, what is my understanding of uh, aging process and how uh, metformin and our compounds could affect that? So first of all, we're talking about ARC compounds, which are specific complex one, mitochondria complex one inhibitors. Metformin happens to be complex one inhibitor as well, but metformin doesn't have that as the only one mechanism, and nobody even now knows how it inhibits, where it inhibits uh, complex one, how does it bind, and what does it do. But metformin indeed in inhibits complex one. It's, a, it's the only one uh, at the moment, FDA-approved complex one for diabetes. So that means that it is prescribed worldwide to people who are in, uh, in the high age group, which is a very good indication that application of complex one inhibitors could be safe, could be safe, especially in aging population. And then part of metformin mechanism is uh, on, on the level of energy and changes that are very positive for diabetic patients. So this is one of the mechanisms that should promote healthy aging, should promote health. Metformin doesn't get uh, very well in the brain. So that is kind of uh, a little bit of problem with metformin. That's why uh, when it was tried in clinical trials, uh, for Alzheimer's disease, it, it didn't produce, seems not to produce the expected very beneficial outcomes. But you're right. So, so if you use metformin, there are reports showing that people, diabetic patients who use metformin, have low incidence of developing Alzheimer's. So it's very interesting that even if it's not getting in the brain, restoring energy homeostasis and reducing, removing uh, the component of diabetes, they'll actually promote healthy aging and reduce chances of getting neurodegeneration. So 
I see application of our compounds in multiple ways. So first of all, we actually did the study in aging mice. So it's not Alzheimer's, it's just chronologically aged mice. And we saw life extension with these compounds, especially in female mice. We do not know why we see such a strong uh, sex component, but females seem to respond to this mitochondria treatment much better than males. So we did a trial with this uh, compound in mice when we treated pregnant mice and the compound get into progeny and we followed progeny uh, for 14 months. These were Alzheimer's mice and we didn't see any development of Alzheimer's at all when uh, in untreated animals symptoms already occurred. So it was very interesting that you could start very early and almost uh, eliminate the onset of the disease. But of course, it's kind of not realistic for pregnant women to start taking it for them that the babies, when they will be 80, will not develop Alzheimer's. So we did preclinical studies and then pre-symptomatic, and then we did symptomatic studies. And in this study that more closely mimic uh, MCI or AD, we had a very promising effect on uh, blocking neurodegeneration, restoring mitochondria function, restoring energy homeostasis, and increasing health uh, parameters uh, and cognitive parameters. So Eugenia, tell us a little bit about how far away are we from really understanding if you can restore the mitochondria uh, to treat neurodegeneration. Um, tell us where your research is um, at right now, um, and you know, when can we expect trials on all of this? We are very optimistic. So I should tell you that mitochondria are new targets for neurodegenerative disorders. I got this first grant for this uh, type of studies in 2010 because nobody else, we were the first to suggest that we could use this uh, very interesting strategy as complex one inhibition to treat Alzheimer's disease. That was novel target and we got the grant specifically as a novel target. So within these 10 years, I learned so much about drug discovery and absolutely uh, fascinating area that nobody trains academicians like myself, right? We trained to ask questions. How does this mechanism occur? What does it mean to look for new things, to, 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 do, to do something with biology? And uh, drug discovery is an extremely uh, tedious, very uh, consistently difficult, step-by-step -step process that nobody trains you in it's it's you have to know and understand so much so it's a it's a very very difficult project so for us we were very lucky that we immediately started to have uh, help from professionals and people who spent life in drug discovery so right now i'm working with absolutely wonderful team of experts we have expert in medicinal chemistry we have expert in all these uh, assays that could that are very important to demonstrate that compounds we're developing will be safe in humans. So this is a concern, of course, number one. But we always go in parallel. So in my lab, we have these translational uh, models that we're always looking for the mechanism. And that's why I think our program is so advanced, because we, we were curious, we were worked so hard to understand these mechanisms. And now we do know, which helps a lot with drug discovery. So this grant that we got from Harrington is a huge step up because Harrington is this drug discovery institute. They have all these advisors, consultants. So they build the team around you. So you're no longer on your own. 
you they build a team that moves the whole project forward so it's like accelerated now stage of our development so right now we activated the first year it's a two-year grant we started to screen new compounds based on our previous series so we know now how to optimize the compounds what do we need to optimize we're very hopeful that at the end of this year we will have the final compound that we will within the next year show and and uh, hopefully it will be safe and uh, efficacious with good uh, properties as a drug and then we will file the ind application and to, to move the clinical trial so if everything goes well and COVID, of course, doesn't help because it's very difficult to work in the lab when you have to maintain social distance and, and yeah. uh, it's, it's not help, helping. So if, if everything goes well, we should be in a very good spot in a couple of years. A couple of years. Okay. So, um, so okay. Years and we should, we should be in clinical trials. And clinical trials, um, I'm at Mayo. Mayo Clinic is absolutely excellent for clinical trials. So I hope that we could. And one of my uh, co-investigators on this grant is Dr. Knopman, who is uh, the professor in, in the same department. I am Department of Neurology, but he's a specialist in clinical trials. So he's an extremely supportive and knowledgeable person. So again, the, the team is very strong and we're very hopeful. Okay, well, thank you so much, um, Dr. Eugenia Tushina, for, for sharing your work. It's very interesting um, to look at this space. It's not one that many are in. Um, so we really wish you the best of luck. We'll post a link um, so that, um, where people can find out more. Um, and please do keep us abreast of your research. This is a really interesting area for us and to, to a lot of people in our audience and perhaps maybe even some who may wanna uh, participate in the trial when you're ready. So thank you so Absolutely. much for joining us. Absolutely, thank you very much. So if you want to uh, listen to more of these interviews, we always post them on beingpatient.com. Sign up for our newsletter. Uh, we always sum up the interviews. We'll let you know about future ones coming. Thanks very much for watching and please join us again for Brain Talks.